to be back after a two-week break to celebrate a little birthday my 38th birthday last week spent some time down in jersey with the wife week before took a little hiatus hang out with the baby so it's good to be back and we come out of this post super bowl which is always a fun time a back-to-back titles for kansas city in dramatic fashion once again you wouldn't really have it any other way right to, to end the football season the way that it did in overtime two best teams in the league two hottest teams in the league Uh, culminating with that phenomenal finish uh, at the end by Patrick Mahomes and company. And it was a a really great game from start to finish. And now we fast forward a little bit. You got got a lot going on in the NHL, got a lot going on in the NBA, as all of those teams make their final pushes toward the postseason. And there's going to be plenty to talk about as we continue with those. But the focus of today's show, and you saw the teasers on social media, is going to be the MLB season preview. Got a litany of teams want to run through that should be power players or hold some significance in how things might go for this 2024 campaign. And I also really, about 16 days out of Selection Sunday with uh, the NCAA men's basketball tournament, the, the Field of 68 announcement, Want to talk about some college basketball because things are developing as we go. The bubble continues to grow. A lot of good teams out there. And they're talking about expanding this thing from 68 to 96, which I don't really like. I think it really uh, devalues what you have to do to get into what has always been a very special tournament. From 64 to 68 was fine. 68 to 96, uh, I think you're kind of playing with an unnecessary element of fire there. Uh, if you know what I mean. So let's get right to it. You you have coming off of a a fairly unique season, the uh, heightened anticipation for what could transpire in the 2024 MLB season. And everything that's happening on both coasts, right? Shohei Otani staying out west, but going to the Dodgers. Now you've got Juan Soto in the Bronx on the East Coast. There's a lot going on. But if we backtrack to what happened last year in 2023, yeah, I think there were a lot of good stories. Obviously, the Texas Rangers winning the franchise's first World Series, big deal. And the way they did that, right, 
everyone was taught falling in love with Texas early in the year. They had the pitching, right? They had DeGrom. They went out and, and made the deal for Scherzer. DeGrom gets hurt. It's out for most of the season. Scherzer would eventually get hurt. But it was the offense that really carried him. Josh Young had a great season, missed some time due to injury. And they had balance throughout that lineup. And Texas, similar to the team that they beat in the World Series, Arizona, more on them in a second, went through their fair share of ups and downs as well. But I think we always agreed that should they get there, that was a team that was built for playoff success. Now, with Q, uh, with Texas last year, the fun part of that, and those of you who follow the program will remember, the last couple of weeks of the MLB season, the focus on this show was what was happening in the American League West. Because it was really a three-team race between the Astros, Rangers, and Mariners to get two playoff spots. You'd have a division winner and then probably a wild card winner. So Houston via tiebreaker won at 90-72 and 72, the AL West last season. Texas got in by two games over Seattle with the same record. They were obviously two very good stories again. That Houston lineup is going to be loaded heading into this season, led by Jordan Alvarez and Jose Altuve. But I thought what Texas did last year really set the table for what they can do this year and beyond because the framework was there. And then you have a manager like Bruce Bochy. There's your pieces to finally get this done. And they've been close. Right, 2012 sticks out. They had some really good teams. They were right there knocking on the door a couple outs away, not able to seal the deal against the Kansas City Royals. And they finally get it done. We'll take a look at what the Rangers present in 2024 as well. And I thought really, you know, as good as the Atlanta Braves were last year, 104 wins, the most regular season wins in baseball. I think the story, and of course the Dodgers with another 100-win campaign, the Brewers, who many expect with Craig Council now managing the Cubs after a 92-win campaign to take something of a step back, we will see. But I think outside of Atlanta's 104-win campaign, and then obviously the Texas Rangers going on to win the World Series, how can you not say that the best story in baseball a year ago was the Baltimore Orioles? And you could see it with Brendan Hyde building from within. And you get those draft picks, you develop them. You develop that farm system. You sprinkle it in with the veteran talent. Adley Rushman behind the plate, a blossoming star at the catcher position. Adley Rushman, kid's a star. If he's not already, he's blossoming into one. And that's a team that goes out and wins 101 games, fends off the Rays, Jays, Red Sox, and Yankees in the American League East. Last two teams I mentioned, Sox and Yankees, had underwhelming seasons. Red Sox finishing under 500. Yankees winning only 82 games. But you get my point. The American League East, year in and year out, is a doggy dog division. And this is an Oriole team that was able to get themselves too clear of Tampa Bay to win the division. That's an American League East division last year. They got three teams into the tournament in Baltimore, Tampa, and Toronto. 101, 99, 89 wins, respectively. But give me a better story than what the Orioles did last season. And a big part of that was what they had at the back end of their bullpen. And Felix Bautista, the closer, going to miss the whole season after surgery. So what do they do? They go out and get Craig Kimbrell. What else do they do? They reload the starting and revamp the starting rotation. Go out and get Corbin Burns from Milwaukee. So you go back a year 
right? We'll, we'll, we'll take a step back to take a couple steps forward now and talk about all of those great moments and those great storylines and great results, right? The six division winners, the Orioles, the Twins in the AL Central, and then the Astros in the West, Atlanta, Milwaukee, Dodgers in the National League. Well, where might some teams, as we flip back forward to the present in 2024 fare? How about the Arizona Diamondbacks? An 84-win regular season, and they parlay that into a postseason berth and go all the way to the World Series. Losing five to Texas, but they got there with perhaps the best young core in the game. Detroit Tigers won 78 games a year ago. How's the growth continue there? What's Tampa Bay going to do to follow up a wild card season after nearly winning 100 games? You've got the defending champion Rangers, 104 win Braves, Philadelphia back to an NLCS a year ago. And then, of course, the Yankees and the Mets. Underwhelming, I think, being polite to say that their campaigns were a year ago. So here we are, and you, you want to look at some of the early prognostications about who's going to do what. Uh, over-unders will continue to develop. That is something that I will get into as we get closer to the start of the season. Um, you know, Because I thought it was pretty interesting last year when I did my over-unders, how high I was, and pretty convinced that the Cincinnati Reds were my best bet, and they go on to win 82 games. Which, when you went down to it, Cincinnati, a fun story throughout with the Cubs, knocking on the proverbial uh, postseason door down to basically the last 10 days of the season. What is their encore performance going to look like? So it's going to be interesting to see. But as we look at it now from sports line, Dodgers are a plus 320 favorite to come out and win the title, followed by Atlanta and Houston, which I think makes sense. Right. If you're going to break that down, give me three teams. I think far and away, everyone would feel comfortable with what they did in the offseason and continue to do that. The Dodgers are the, are, the, are the favorite right now as spring training is about a week underway, followed by Atlanta. I think that's fair. If there's the biggest contender, if we're looking on paper and in recency and what we've seen in results on the field, it's who would you say is the L.A. Dodgers biggest threat? It's the Atlanta Braves. And then the Houston Astros. Behind them at plus 800, the Yankees, plus 1,400, the Texas Rangers. So what's interesting about these odds, and you take them always with a grain of salt, folks. At least you should, right? Because you don't know. That's why I'm always hesitant. I do it because for whatever reason, it makes for good radio, NFL picks. You have no idea. You have no idea what's going to happen, how teams develop. You can't be in all 30-plus camps at once to know wins from losses. But you do it anyway. It is fun. But there's the element of the unknown always with sports because it's in the future. But what I think is interesting about these MLB futures odds from Sportsline is to have the Yankees at plus 800. That's the fourth favorite to win the World Series for a Yankee team coming off an extremely underwhelming 82-win campaign. Which is why... I think there is so much emphasis on what the Yankees did in the offseason to bring in Juan Soto. And we'll talk about that throughout uh, a portion of this show in our MLB preview. But it's interesting when you, when you have a New York Yankee team that everybody loved to bash on, right? You either love the Yankees, it's like being an Notre Dame fan. You either love them or you hate them. There's no one that kind of likes the Yankees, right? So 82 and 80 which is, again, an, another above 500 finish for the Bombers. 
but not what people expect when they generally cover the Yankees. So at 82 and 80 a year ago, moving forward, what do the Yankees do now that they have Soto and some offensive firepower? So let's get into it. And I want to start with the Texas Rangers, the defending champs. You look at their lineup from top to bottom, from Simeon all the way down. You know, Marcus Simeon, stud second baseman, probably going to hit leadoff for this team. How healthy would Corey Seager be? Adolis Garcia, the year he had? This is another 30-plus guy. So right off the bat, if Simeon, Seager, Garcia are your top three hitters, you could potentially have your top three hitters with 30-plus home runs. That's wild. And when you look at what else they have, Josh Young out, missed a part of time last season due to injury. What else do they present with? Nate Lau, a very good-looking young first baseman. 270 hitter, can give you 20-plus home runs. Jonah Heim was an all-star catcher last year. Leota Tavares brings you speed and balance to this lineup. And oh, by the way, when you look at the rotation, Evaldi's back coming off a strong campaign. John Gray's in there. Andrew Haney, Dane Dunning, Cody Bradford, and Jake Odorizzi would probably compete um, for that fifth spot until the return of Max Scherzer. And you, it's kind of a wild card there with Scherzer because you don't know necessarily as a power pitcher in his 40s coming off injury what he might look like. But from top to bottom, coming off a title campaign, when you start with Simeon, a perennial all-star, Seager, Garcia, and then I, I would say Young hits fifth, and perhaps Evan Carter might clean it up in the four spot. You don't know. But I think you might be able to get a little creative there in the middle of that lineup. But from Young, Lau, Heim, and then Garcia, with Simeon and Seager at the top, this is a dangerous Texas team. And we saw how dangerous they were when it mattered the most a year ago in the postseason. I think this is easily a 90-plus win campaign again, perhaps even more, because of what they present offensively. You have, hypothetically, look, I'll say four potential 30-plus home run hitters. Outside of that, could Nate Lau get hot and smack 30 and maybe have five 30-plus home run hitters? I don't think it's out of the question. This is a Ranger team that's going to slug the baseball. And if you're able to get productivity out of this rotation, I think Evaldi, the way he's been, can be considered the given to this point. Gray's a good veteran. We've seen what Haney has done. And Dane Dunning really, really developing. You know, you get Scherzer back in the right spot. You know, why can't this Ranger team compete for a title again? You've got the veteran David Robertson, who's been great everywhere he's been 
in that rotation. He'll compete with Jose Leclerc for the closer job. I would say right out of the gates, it's Le- it's Leclerc's job. Kirby Yates will serve as one of the setup guys, probably with Robertson, but you could go either way there. And the nice thing about having a manager like Bruce Bochy is creativity does exist. You know, I think this is the coming off the World Series. I got you could probably put some blinders on as we tend to do that, right? We 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 live in the past, you know. But with this Texas team, there is probably more balance than they're given credit for, and I think that's really going to bode well for them, you know, as you move on into the into a long season, right? Because you saw how that goes with trying to survive injury after injury, and how it and how it. Um, can eventually catch up. And the other thing, too, with this Ranger team, you talk about pitching, you know, Jacob DeGrom. Now, I didn't purposely leave him out. Gets to the facility, the Rangers facility, a couple of weeks ago. As, I mean, we're talking baby of baby steps here with Jacob DeGrom to try to come back from Tommy John surgery. And that was landing the big fish because, like it or lump it, he is the Rangers' ace. It isn't Max Scherzer. It's not Native Aldi. As good as those, those two are, and Scherzer, particularly when he's healthy, it's Jacob DeGrom. So eight months ago, he's got the surgery. And he's among a few Ranger pitchers that are rehabbing, but he's the big one. Uh, it was Scherzer's surgery, I think, was mid-December. Now, they all say they feel good, but it's baby steps here to think when you come back. You're probably looking at an August return for Jacob deGrom. I think it is highly likely that Max Scherzer, at the earliest, I would say, is late May, early June. Right? You're probably targeting mid to late June. So late May, early June, I think would be, they'd be doing backflips in Texas if you get Scherzer back then. You're looking at August, God willing, for deGrom. And that's sort of how I, you know, I look at what this Ranger team presents with coming into the season. The team they beat in the World Series last year, look, you, you you heard me gushing over this team all season long. I go on the record, gun to my head, it was early August, and I said, as now, as presented now, at that time in the season, the Arizona Diamondbacks, who were winning the NL West, are championship good. What do they do from there? They proceed to lose eight games in a row. Now, in a long season, not a death sentence, but it put that Arizona team, a young Arizona team, in a bit of limbo as they continued to fight the likes of the Padres, who started playing good ball late and nearly snuck their way into the playoffs. The Cubs, the Reds, the Marlins, all in that wild card chase. The Phillies. So Arizona winds up getting in. And in addition to me saying that, and, and, and I wound up with no egg on my face when they did make it to the Fall Classic, you heard me absolutely gushing over Corbin Carroll. I think he's my favorite player in baseball, bar none. I think this kid's 30 and 100 with 50 stolen bases. That's how good this kid can be with a gold glove arm in the outfield. And he's going to hit leadoff for this Arizona team. Cattell Marte behind him is a good veteran. And you'll have Jock Peterson. Christian Walker, by the way, doesn't get enough credit. The Diamondbacks' first baseman. Whether he hits third and fourth in this lineup, I think is irrelevant. Because now Tory Lavulo's got at his ex- this disposal. Really, you talk about Texas having balance. That's what this Arizona lineup has. To lead off with Corbin Carroll. 
a base dealer at the top and then wrap it around with the ninth hitter, Gio Perdomo, who's got speed of his own, that's balance. The meat of that lineup is going to come from Walker, Peterson, and Gabe Moreno. And oh, by the way, you're looking to catch lightning in a bottle with bringing in Eugenio Suarez, who's a perennial 30 home run hitter, who sort of had an underwhelming year in Seattle a year ago. Did hit for pop. It came on late. It developed later in the season than many thought it would, coming off a really good campaign the year before where Seattle uh, snapped the 21-year postseason drought. But you've got legitimacy from an offensive standpoint. But when you look at what Arizona rolls out as a starting five, I'm in love with it. Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly right at the top. I mean, that's as good as you can get there. Eduardo Rodriguez on board. Brandon Fott, I know he wasn't great during the regular season last year in his first go-round, but the kid showed up and he pitched pretty well when they needed him late. He slots in, I suppose, as the number four for Arizona with Ryan Nelson probably collecting uh, the final spot. Paul Seawald's going to be their closer, another good veteran, with Miguel Castro um, and Ryan Thompson serving in some type of the setup relief role, among others. I don't have to get into all of them now because things can change. But you've got an Arizona team that really comes into the season from what I was researching and looking at, that maybe outfield depth they might lack. You know, depending on what Lourdes Goriel Jr. shows up. I mean, kid's a good ball player. It just depends on what you could get out of him. You know, what, what do you get there? You know, I think overall, this Arizona team is is clearly, and I'm not saying anything that anyone else doesn't know that follows baseball, built for built for the present and the future. I mean, you talk about being ahead of schedule. They get in the playoffs as an 84-win wildcard team and go all the way to the World Series losing in five. But that a, the NLCS series with Philly was the stuff of legend. The things that happened in that series. That was fun baseball. You All you had to do was be a baseball fan or a minute baseball fan to sit back and enjoy those games as fun stuff. Yeah, I think with young kids and young, talented players, you know, Corbin Carroll's probably going to project his 25 homers, 90 RBIs, 35, 40 stolen bases. I think he's a 50, 150 guy. A 30, 150 guy, sorry. I think he's that good. Gold Glover. So between Texas and Arizona, you're defending league champions last year. These are teams that are built for the for now and then future seasons. As is the next team I want to talk about, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Ho-hum, right? Mookie Betts at the top. You know, whether it was Freddie Freeman behind him, Will Smith, one of the best young catchers in baseball, hitting third, maybe fourth. Max Muncy's obviously carries pop with him. You bring aboard Teoscar Hernandez, Jason Hayward, Gavin Lux. Did I leave anybody out? That's right. As the rich get richer, now the Los Angeles Dodgers possess Shohei Otani, a two-way player who, who will drive down a one-way street this year as he serves uh, the offensive uh, statistics this year. He's not going to pitch due to the arm surgery. But you take what the Dodgers did a year ago. 100-win campaign, won the West Division by 16 games, oddly enough, over an Arizona team that went on to the World Series. 
You take a team that has Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, and Jason Hayward, a good veteran who still plays a really good outfield. And you parlay that with going out and getting Shohei Otani and Teoscar Hernandez to walk in 100 RBI guys. I mean, if you think about it, if you if you look at what you, you you might presume would be the Dodgers' opening day lineup, Mookie Betts is going to hit leadoff. He's going to play second base. With Otani, Freeman, Muncie, Outman, Smith, you would probably say Otani hit second as the DH. Freeman would hit third as the first baseman, and Smith is behind the plate. He cleans up. Easily right there. All four of those guys are 20 homer guys. Three of them, Freeman, Otani, and Betts, are 35 home run guys. Then you follow up with Max Muncy, Teoscar Hernandez, who's another 30 home run guy, James Outman, who's got some pop. Lux will probably uh, wrap it around. One through nine, this is ridiculous. This is a ridiculous lineup because there is pop. There is average. Betts is a 280, 285 hitter. Otane hits 275. Freddie Freeman's plus 300. Smith can hit 270. And then Teoscar Hernandez and Lux are 270 hitters. Then you look at what they're doing in the rotation, which is where it gets absurd. James Paxton's a good veteran. That's fine. Good youngster in Emmett Sheehan. Bobby Miller. The veteran Tyler Glass now went healthy, as good as they come. And then you go out, in addition to grabbing Shohei Otani, you combine the two, spend a million on both, and land the biggest offseason possession on the market from a pitching perspective in Japanese star Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And if you, if you saw the two innings he pitched the other day, you get that romantic sound on the catching mitt when the guy throws a fastball. Now, you don't want to get carried away because if there are questions, and every team's got their glory, and every team's got their questions, I think the one area where you can focus, and it doesn't mean that they're not talented, that might make me a little uneasy is this Dodger bullpen. I don't have any glaring issues with Evan Phillips as a closer, but I'm not doing backflips that he's my closer. I don't have any problems with Joe Kelly as my setup guy. The Dodgers feel that he's worth $8 million for a year. They actually saved money in bringing him back. Ryan Brazier, Ryan Yarbrough, break training, went healthy. What happens with Dustin May down the road? What is very interesting that could happen to make this team even more lethal is going to be the return of Walker Bueller to the rotation. Because as he rehabs through spring now, he's touching 95 with his fastball. Not ready for game action. There's going to be a couple more tossing sessions that he has to do. But you'll throw him, Walker Bueller, into that rotation that will include himself, Yamamoto, Glasnow, and either Miller, Sheehan, or Paxton. 
on paper, this is video game stuff, folks. That's what they've done here. And it infuriates me, you know, because, again, I, I do have an old school mentality with a lot of this stuff. And the Dodgers, you know, people get mad that the Dodgers are doing this for money. Well, they have the money. Do you think they're just not going to spend it? I just, I, you don't have to like it, but you can't be ridiculous about it. Well, they would have bought their title. You would be an owner of a team. Steve Cohen came in when he took over the Mets and, and threw every freaking dollar he could around to make that team better. Isn't that what you want? You don't have to like it. Go out and beat them, which is going to be a damn tall order. <laughs> With Betts, Otani, Freeman, and Smith as a top four of a lineup. So, yeah, they are, when we did the sports line odds, they are easily that early favorite. You want to put Atlanta 2, Houston 3, or flip-flop them. Yankees 4, I guess. I probably would have had the Rangers ahead of the Yankees early on. I, the disrespect with the Baltimore Orioles blows my mind in those early odds. Because I think the Baltimore Orioles are the best team in the, in the American League East. But it's going to be a tough sell to beat this Dodger team. And I think if you when you when you look at these World Series on Baltimore tied at uh, six with with Philadelphia plus fifteen hundred, Yankees plus eight hundred fourth. We went over that a minute ago. I'd say head scratching to me. But anyway, speaking of the Yankees, so you get a look at the Rangers, you get a look at the Diamondbacks. You know what the Dodgers are putting out there. Yankees coming off an eighty two win campaign that did not sit well with the fan base and ownership. You know, and and I and I have said it before. I had commercial spots that I aired promoting this show, where that things had to change, where they with 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 the Steinbrenner family not gung ho enough to get, go out and get done what's needed to be done. Perhaps Aaron Boone not fit to be the manager of the team. But then you look at his resume since he's been the Yankee manager, and on paper he's done everything right. With the wins he's racked up, it hasn't materialized in the postseason, and that's where the problems exist. But when you look at this Yankee team coming into the 2024 season, their early projection is to win 94 games. And you don't need to be a mathematician to know that they better score more runs than they had last year. Because people like to say they don't know where their pitching's coming from. Let's start with the bats. Because the Yankees not only were not hitting home runs, they couldn't manufacture runs, which has been a problem, if you want to be honest, with the Yankees for a couple of seasons. And I'm not this guy who's going to scream up here and say bunt, okay? Situational baseball exists. There's ways to do it where you can move a guy over without laying one down. I get it. It's not a thing anymore. I don't agree with it. I don't disagree with it. But I understand where the game is headed. But I also do know that the Yankees have had a serious problem getting guys on base, stealing bags, and moving runners over. And I don't just say that as, 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 a, as a Yankee fan. Yes, I watch all the games. I watch all the Mets games, too. I watch most of the Dodger games, even though they're on late. In the midday games, I watch a lot of Chicago Cubs and Chicago White Sox games because they're always on. And you can see the highs and the lows. This has been an issue for the New York Yankees. And with what the rest of the league has done in loading up talent, spending money, the Yankees coming off a year and where they missed the playoffs for the first time in 2016. Worst win percentage since 92. Two games over 500. Finished fourth in the American League East. And it's been 14 seasons now since they've been to the World Series. 
So when you think about the makeup of this Yankee team, it's it was huge for the fan base to see them go out and get Juan Soto. And if you watch the kid this spring, as advertised, there are studs and there are super studs. This kid is right there with Judge Betts Otani. He is that good. I can't figure out for whatever reason why some people don't like him. Maybe now it's because he's a Yankee. But Juan Soto is a hell of a ball player, and they're going to need to do everything humanly possible to make sure that he doesn't walk at the end of the year. Because here's what the Yankees lineup, and, and, and part of this preview, we're going to go through the major lineups for the major teams, and then we'll, we'll continue to go as, as we go on weekly creeping into um, the regular season, some of the other teams as we get news and notes. DJ LeMay, who hit your leadoff hitter, probably right now. Does that honestly, if as a baseball fan or a Yankee fan, does that inspire you? Probably not. Juan Soto's going to hit second. Aaron Judge going to hit third. Anthony Rizzo, fourth right now. Does that inspire you? Glaber Torres, coming off a phenomenal campaign, still not beloved by this Yankee fan base. That's another thing I can't figure out. He'll hit fifth. He... Outside of Soto and Judge, has a damn good chance to be their best player. And maybe he will be. You bring in Alex Verdugo, who's a good outfielder. And can hit and get on base, which the Yankees desperately need. So in going and getting Verdugo, going and getting Soho, you got guys that can put him over the fence, yes. But you have guys that can get on base. Stretch the defense. Giancarlo Stanton. Toward the bottom in this lineup, does he hit sixth? Does he hit seventh? Will he occasionally hit fifth? He's going to be the primary designated hitter. You better hope he stays healthy. If he's healthy, he's good for an easy 30 home runs. If not, it's going to be a long season where the Yankees just can't get out of Dodge. Throughout his career, I have always liked Giancarlo Stanton. Always. You never hear him piss and moan. He doesn't say the wrong thing. He hustles. He's a hell of a defender when they put him out there. I get the anxiety it causes when he's in the outfield because of his injury history. But it has been a failed contract based on what you thought you were getting. And it would nice to be see a turnaround this season where the Yankees are quite honestly set up for some success with areas of improvement. Anthony Volpe, I think, is primed for a big year. And I hope it's Austin Wells as the primary catcher. Because we Jose Trevino is going to be the number one catcher for Garrett Cole. But what the Yankees need at the catcher position is offense, like so many teams do. And it's been an issue for the Yankees. Austin Wells is here because he can hit the baseball. He can hit home runs. He can drive in runs. He might not hit 250. But if he hits 235, 240, 15 home runs and 60 RBIs, wouldn't you take that and run with it? Because, man, has the Yankee catching position been very underwhelming. And I would say this, before you even talk about this Yankee rotation like we've done with the other teams, my my, my concern would be LeMayhew at leadoff and Rizzo in the four spot. And it's nothing against those guys. But Anthony Rizzo went ice cold as cold could be last season. Granted, injury doesn't help. 
but he was in the, the worst slump of his career. It was his worst statistical season since he's been up in the bigs. And DJ LeMay, who just didn't have it. So I think there's definitely questions there. Does it perhaps mean a move up the lineup at some point for Anthony Volpe? When will we see more of Oswald Peraza? Jason Dominguez is slated to return after his surgery, hopefully sooner rather than later. And then you look at this rotation. Garrett Cole is the surefire number one. He's the best pitcher in the American League. Carlos Rodon, I think, is to have three separate back issues last year and then for people to continue to hammer this guy and say he sucks was absurd. When he came back the first time, it was probably too soon. I'm not in the room. I don't know. So I'm not going to kill anyone for it. But something was clearly wrong, and it wasn't talent. He's a damn good number two. So if you're if you're coming to me for thoughts and opinions, expect a good year from Rodon. Because it, okay, folks, because he's a good pitcher. That's just the bottom line. You go out and get Marcus Stroman. A lot of people don't love him. He brings a lot of energy that rubs people the wrong way. Sometimes he says silly things. Hey, hey. I look in the mirror. I say dumb crap all the time. All right? If he comes here and he does his job, he's going to endear himself to Yankee fans, and that's all that matters. Nestor Cortez coming off the injury. I guess toward the back end, if they wanted to wrap around with him and Cole, he could be your fifth. And Clark Schmidt. Clark Schmidt is an interesting story here, and I'll tell you why. Because he was brutal to start the season. But give me a Yankee pitcher outside the obvious Cole who went on to win the Cy Young Award in the American League that really had a better, complete campaign, especially from the All-Star break on than Clark Schmidt. He was an undeniable asset to that team. And I think he's going to be a big asset. You know, he might knock you down. Might not knock you down statistically. But Clark Schmidt goes out, gives you six innings. And you could turn it over to the Canelys, Lewisicas, uh, hopefully Scott Efres and Lou Trevino are healthy again. And then they could shut the door with Clay Holmes in the ninth inning. You take that and, and, and you'd be celebrating. You'd be whistling Dixie. And I think you can get that from Clark Smith. Now, he's seen a little bit of Ron Marinaccio um, in the spring. You know, if the Yankees can get him right. What a weapon he can be. You know, but as constituted, it's a pretty good Yankee bullpen. A lot, you know, I'm not going to go nuts like, like, like I might um, with if Felix Bautista were able to pitch this year for the Baltimore Orioles, one of the best young closers in the game, but they go out and get Craig Kimbrell. That helps. That's exciting. You know, Clay Holmes, good closer. Tommy Canely, Jonathan Lewisaga. I mean, Jonathan Lewisaga. And Ian Hamilton last year, too, by the way, who remains in that Yankee bullpen, unsung guys. You know, I don't think, you know, I think you'll expect to see Marinaccio, you know, those middle setup innings. But I think he would serve a higher leverage role if they can get him back on track from where he was a year ago. He's a big part of this thing. And I think that's what the Yankees want, and I think that's what they need. So the projections for the Yankees, 94 wins. Look, and this is not to say the obvious, the captain obvious. If they don't score, they're not going to win games. The pitching is very good, but it can only do so much. And the last couple of seasons, the lack of success on the diamond for the Yankees has not been because of its pitching. It has been because of its offense. But the way that things are set up now, 
this lineup, especially the addition of Soto, Soto and Verdugo. I'm including Verdugo in that. You can even put Trent Grisham in there, who's a gold glove outfielder, can hit for average and steal bases. The Yankee team has, has got something going. Mike's on the line. Mike, what's up? Hey, Pete, how you doing? What's going on? Uh, I agree with everything you're saying about the Yankees. Uh, to me, number one, if their pitching staff stays healthy, I think the pitching staff's fine. Rodon will have to have – if Rodan bounces back and has a good year, I think their pitching staff will be okay. Uh, the wild card to me is Stanton. Had a terrible year last year, and they have a nice lineup. But if Stanton could have a good – Stanton has a year where he hits 35 home runs, hits 260, their lineup could be dynamite. And look, I think so too. I, you know, my my concerns. Anthony Rizzo is, is healthy. He's going to be in there, and he's probably going to hit fourth. I mean, the, the one person who I think might be able to play his way out of this if he doesn't turn it around is DJ LeMahieu. I don't think it's going to take much for the Yankees if everything else is going right, or if they need pop at the top of the lineup to flip things and maybe hit Anthony Volpe leadoff, and then turn to a guy like Oswaldo Cabrera or an Oswald Peraza and say you're going to play third. You know, Jeter Downs was brought over here for the same thing. Not a lot of people know about him, but he plays third base and he plays it well. You know, I, I don't think it is out of the question that a change is made at the top of the lineup, not just of who is hitting there, but who is completely replaced from the lineup because DJ LeMahieu was simply not good a year ago and he's not getting any younger. Yeah, I agree. And that's not a knock on him because he's hit everywhere he's been. And, and even with the Yankees. But I, I, I do think, as, as much as you say, this lineup does it, – it is complete from top to bottom. I, 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 my, my argument would be I am not at all comfortable with the leadoff spot, and I am not comfortable in the four-hole right now if it's going to be Anthony Rizzo at this point. Yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. LeMahieu, too, the second half of the year, he hit about 270 the second half of the year. If he could do that for an entire year, I'll yes. take that. Correct. But and I Kenny, agree. I don't know. He's not getting any younger, like you say. No, I and I totally agree, Mike. Uh, and as always, thank you for the phone call. Um, you know, look, it, it this presents itself for the Yankees, where if last season repeats itself, it's not just going to be the manager that's gone. I mean, it's going to be a complete breakdown where they're going to. You know, with pending free agent and possibly losing Juan Soto, spend some money. All right, you. I'm not going to get up in arms that they weren't making those plays for Otani. By all, the guy apparently just got married, so that was a pretty well kept secret, and that he clearly wanted to stay out on the West Coast. So they did the next best thing, which was a damn good thing, and went out and get the got the offensive player that they needed. All right, so that's an early look at some of the teams. Uh, that you know, I feel are going to be, you know, impactful uh, moving forward. When we come on next week, we'll take a look at the Mets, Red Sox, Orioles, Braves, and the Astros. And one of the things that, with this Mets team, you know, where are they going to go? The projection there, 84 and a half, and they're over under. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. This Red Sox team, are they going to be able to develop offensively and grow the pitching staff? You know, you've got Trevor Story. I guess you could put a question mark next to what you might get there. Rafael Devers is a stud. They bring in Tyler O'Neill. So what happens there? Baltimore. I mean, 101 wins a year ago, division title. 
Why shouldn't they be the AL favorite? Atlanta won 104 last year. They've got to be considered LA's biggest threat. And then obviously the Houston Astros, especially when it comes to the later months of the season and into October, can never be counted out. So we'll break down those teams um, as we continue to move forward with our spring training and MLB 2024 season preview. With you every week. Sports Today with Peter J. So I definitely do want to get into college basketball, and that's where I'm going next. But before that, I had mentioned that there's a huge announcement to make. And this is the type of announcement that you make with an immense amount of pride. Because I would not be able to make this announcement if I didn't have growing listenership and viewership and subscriptions across all platforms. And I'm talking about Podbean, Apple, iHeart, TuneIn, Spotify, you name it. Google, we're on them all. Listen notes. A couple of weeks ago, I got an alert on the Sports Today with Peter J Instagram page. And you can follow that at at Sports Today with Peter J, the at symbol and the name of the show. From an outlet that was speaking highly of the show. And they wanted to chat about me coming aboard. So I, I do my research and I realize, oh, when I go back and see who the message is from, you know, I follow this outlet called the Irish Tribune. And I'm going, this is incredible. The Irish Tribune, for those who may not know, is a fully credentialed leading outlet for Notre Dame Athletics, University of Notre Dame Athletics. And if you know anything about this show and anything about me, you know how passionate I am about not just the fighting Irish from an athletic perspective, but the university as a whole. Now, I've covered in the past to a certain extent But this is an outlet that reached out to me, was interested in me jumping on their podcast as a co-host. Podcast is called First and Gold. Writing for the Irish Tribune. You can check it out at theirishtribune.com. And then doing some recruiting analysis, film breakdown, and then possibly after football game hosting Twitter spaces, which are huge. For For an outlet that gets millions of views. And my favorite thing about it is an outlet that prioritizes legitimate journalism. There's no paywalls. There's no got your headlines, right? There's none of this, you know, five things to know about Marcus Freeman. There's none of that. You give the people and the fans what they need to know and what they want to know. And that's the beautiful thing about the Irish Tribune. There's great outlets out there, right? Every team has their unique sources, college, pro, high school, whatever it might be. And I couldn't believe that they had reached out to me for me to come aboard. Now, granted, on a part-time freelance basis, because I'm a, a teacher in New York City, and I wouldn't give that up for the world. I love it. It's a, it, Yes, it's a comfortable career, but it's one I also love. So to be able to do this, be a credentialed member of the media once again, be on the field, in the arena, in the press box, media row, press row, covering my favorite team in the world was is an absolute dream. And I'm indebted to those guys over there who reached out. More on that as we continue to go. Sports Today with Peter J is obviously going to continue. And sometimes it might have to be scaled back, right? Because I obviously have to prioritize my wife, Elizabeth, and my growing 18-month-old daughter, Mackenzie, who's already saying, go Irish, by the way. But this was great. And, but I want to stress, impossible, would not have happened 
if this show, this platform, was not successful. I like to think I have some talent. But that only gets you so far. You have to have the support. You have to have people that want to have an interest in you. And I've got that here, and it's all because of you. And I am greatly, greatly appreciative of that. So it's the Irish Tribune. I'm going to start. I have a, a feature piece, an introductory piece that I wrote um, that is not time sensitive. So there's so much going on with lacrosse and men's and women's basketball right now as we get into conference tournament season, uh, which is a nice segue. So it's the Irish Tribune. You can check them out at theirishtribune.com. And their leading podcast is a podcast called First and Gold uh, that I'll be talking with the guys over the weekend about more and, and doing some collaboration. It should be great. Uh, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. The beauty of a lot of this is, too, I like to travel. It's not always conducive when you have a family. So many of you know that. But most of this is going to be done right here from the, the home studio that I have set up. Uh, and that is great. So, again, thank you for your your listenership, your viewership, your support uh, and continued subscriptions and your word of mouth getting it out there. And, and just overall love for STWPJ. I greatly appreciate it. Now, as far as College Hoops is concerned, you're looking at number one Houston, number two Purdue, number three and defending national champion UConn. They're, they are clearly poised for deep tournament runs this season. And I've said it time and time again, Purdue's got to prove it, right? But this Purdue team, and I've said this also, does have a different feel to it. Not the team that was bounced by a 16, right, in FDU. Great story. It's not the same Purdue team. Zach Eady comes back and he's playing even better than he was a year ago. But what's, what is interesting is the entire picture that I want to get into today. And this is something that we're going to continue to talk about because think about this. Selection Sunday is St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. That's when, for those who may not know, the field of 68, 68 teams on the men's side, men's college basketball, is announced. The official announcement and coverage package will be Sunday, March 17th, 6 p.m. Eastern time on CBS. It usually follows the Big Ten championship game. So that while well, well, there's basically three, we're at two and a half, three weeks remaining before that date, right? You got a handful of regular season games left for a lot of these teams. And then you've got the conference tournaments. There's going to be a litany of teams who can further their resumes as folks. There always are this time of year who want to further their resumes for advancement into the bracket. One of the teams that I focused on right out of the gates is Dusty Mays, Florida Atlantic team. I mean, this is a, a team that blew through the NCAA tournament last year, won some tight ones, won some commanding to get to the Final Four. They're a bubble team right now. Are they good? Yes. Are they a 21 team? Yes. They're a bubble team. Right? They've got some lackluster losses in there with some pretty good wins. Seton Hall, year two with Shaheen Holloway. Good team on the bubble, all right, with the good wins that they have on the resume. They've got some losses that make you scratch your head. I'll give you. Another local team, if you're in my New York area, St. John's. It's year one under head coach Rick Pitino. I mean, he blasted them in the media about two weeks ago. Rightfully, incorrectly so, depending on what side of the aisle you're living on. But this is a St. John's team that is clearly set up moving forward, right? Is it this year? They'd love to say it is. Got to play well. Got to play well in March. And we're in March. March 1 today especially when the conference tournaments start. You're going to be up again. Villanova's another bubble team. Creighton is a very good team. Creighton's in. Xavier's a pain in the you-know-what. You've got a Butler team that can be annoying. So all of these teams that are going to pop, Seton Hall, the aforementioned Seton Hall. So St. John's is right there on this bubble as well. Iowa, if the tournament started today, out. 
do some damage in the Big Ten, we'll have the conversation again. But another team, there were two. I mentioned Florida Atlantic as one of the, the leading bubble teams, at least in my eyes. Mississippi, all Miss. This is a team that started 13-0, and 15-1. And, and then couldn't get out of its own way. 20-plus win campaign, that's great. But I would say, if, if you are... Man, if you're looking at these brackets today, and it is never easy, I wouldn't want to be on that committee because no matter what you do, you're always going to piss somebody off. But if you are looking at the field of 68 and saying today, hey, Pete, what would you do if you had to pick these teams today? You know, I I, I would not be able to put an Ole Miss team in the field over someone like a Seton Hall. Who... Bubble team, but today, Seton Hall, I have them in. Am I putting them in over, say, Virginia? No. Florida Atlantic, who I'd have in, but it's close. No. Because after that 13-0 start for Ole Miss, right, you didn't have a nice win over Memphis, a tournament team. Good win over a pesky UCF team. There wasn't too much that wowed you on that early schedule. Then they get their first test. They go on the road to a top five Tennessee team and get smacked. 90 to 64. Now, granted, they come back and hang 103 on Florida the next time out. Nine point loss to LSU a couple days later. Then they get throttled by Auburn by 23. Auburn played them twice and Habitant by 23 and 14, respectively. Tough loss to Kentucky and South Carolina. So they've had opportunities. And if you look at it at the time of when Ole Miss played the team and they were ranked Tennessee, fifth in the country, loss. Auburn, 13th in the country, loss. Auburn, 16th in the country, loss. South Carolina, 15th in the country, loss. Kentucky, at the time, 22nd in the country, loss. See the theme developing here? South Carolina, again, 20th in the country, loss. Alabama, 14th in the country, just a couple days ago, loss. So against top 25 opponents, Ole Miss has a donut. Committees see this, and they end the season with Missouri and Georgia, two teams that really outside of conference tournament time are not playing for much. You know, Ole Miss starting 13-0, and 19-9 now, and then they will end the regular season with a big game against Texas A&M. Because I think Texas A&M, despite being 15-13, and 13, I think they you can consider them to be a bubble team because they do have some nice resume Ws. But I think today, Pete, you're focused on Florida Atlantic. Would you have them in the dance? Absolutely. You're focused on Ole Miss, Pete. What are you doing with them? Right now, I got them out. I'll tell you another team that's right there. Villanova's close. I would not have them in the tournament today. And then Wake Forest. How about Wake Forest? You lose to an 11-win Notre Dame team earlier in the week after you upset Duke a couple days before. So this is where, you know, this comes down to, to take a look at this field. Yes, there's a lot of good teams out there. And you probably look at it today and say, who would your top four seeds be? You know, a lot of people will have Purdue as the top seed. I'm go- I've been high on Houston all year. I would probably have Houston as my top. I'm the biggest Jamal Shedd fan on planet Earth. 
Houston has my top seed. And they got a big game against Oklahoma this weekend. Calvin Sampson returns returning to uh, Soonerville. I would probably go Houston as my top overall seed, followed by UConn, the defending national champion, who's got a great resume. Tuffy took a beat in the Creighton a couple days ago. Then I would have Purdue. You know, I know, I know a lot of these guys and girls that do this, you know, the prognostication and ranking, uh, uh, bracketology, whatever you want to call it, might have Purdue too, but some might even have one. I would go Houston, UConn, Purdue, and then Arizona. I would have Arizona still on my one line, flirting with the idea of a Marquette. I'm not ready to make that move to have them as a one. You know, I know some people are floating the idea of Tennessee. Look, Tennessee keeps winning games, and you heard it in the opening package. That was an impressive victory the, the other night over a very good and physical Auburn team. And I'll tell you a team that I really like and a team that has been hot for weeks, and it's the 22-6, and six, number eight-ranked Cyclones of Iowa State. This is a team that's battle-tested, and they know how to play physical. They've got a win over Houston. They've beaten Kansas. They've beaten TCU. They've beaten Texas, who really is in in a dive right now, are the Texas Longhorns. And it's been tough to see, uh, especially for how they were in the beginning of the season to where Texas has gone lately, Um, just not playing. You know, you probably have them at 18 and 10, on the 8-9 line, but alternating wins and losses the last couple weeks. Uh, you, you go back a few weeks, lost to Iowa State, then they beat West Virginia. Then they lose to Houston by 20 points, beat Kansas State, lose to Kansas by 20 points, beat Texas Tech. So that's true Jekyll and Hyde. Now, Max Abbas is a great is a great field shooter. All right, he's the team leader in basically every statistical offensive category. And I guess if the tournament started today, Texas is probably on that 8-9 line, maybe a 7, perhaps a 10. You know, but I'm not going crazy there. But this Iowa State team can play. If you watch the game, I guess it was about 10 days ago, 8 days ago, when they played Houston in Texas. Close game at the half, and then Houston just imposed their will uh, on home court. NCAA tournament atmosphere. And I really like this Iowa State team for what they have going. Tamine Lipsy, Kashawn Gilbert, Demarion Watson shoots almost 68% when he's on the floor. Can give you a solid eight minutes a game and give you that type of production is pretty interesting. All right. So there's balance there. Depth, even someone can come in and play 10 minutes like Watson and be a sharpshooter from the field. This is a dangerous Iowa State team. San Diego State, Final Four a year ago, another dangerous team. Alabama playing better basketball to this point. You know, I don't. I I would say be careful if you're one of those people that is sleeping on Virginia because the defense is still there. North Carolina playing good ball at the right time. Florida playing better. Northwestern and TCU could be potentially dangerous teams. And Nebraska's a 20-win team. South Carolina has been hot lately. I'll tell you, if you if you haven't seen Louisiana Tech play, you might want to turn your TV on to see what the Bulldogs have had got going. Five in a row, and they are just really putting on a clinic 
as they go into conference tournament time. It's a team that rebounds very well. They're very efficient. Isaiah Crawford's their leading scorer, can get up and down the floor, works very nicely with the point guard, Sean Newman. I've seen him play a couple of times. They won a, a, a tight game over Western Kentucky the other night. So if you're looking for those fun teams to follow, and we can get into this as we go, right? We still have two-plus weeks before Selection Sunday. But like I said, those bubble teams that I mentioned are going to be the teams that you want to focus on, at least in my opinion. Florida Atlantic, Seton Hall, Ole Miss. Right now, if it started, I got it. Florida Atlantic in, Seton Hall in, Ole Miss out. Iowa, out. St. John's, out. Wake Forest, despite the loss to Notre Dame, I got him in. And we'll, we will be able to update this going into tournament time, uh, which will kick off Tuesday, March 19th. That'll be uh, TBS, TNT, CBS, and True TV. That'll anchor all that coverage. The best thing about March is they have the free March Madness app where you can watch all those games uh, anyway, which is also awesome. So plenty of time to get into that um, as well uh, as we continue to, uh, to move closer and closer to True March Madness. Subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Sports Today with Peter J. Yeah, you want to subscribe by now. You know how Podbean, Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeart, TuneIn. Uh, subscribe across the board, okay? Uh, just a quick note from the NFL before we get out of here. Mike Evans is going to hit free agency. Uh, his time in Tampa Bay, the future Hall of Famer and perennial 1,000-yard receiving season uh, receiver has come to an end. Um, It doesn't look like he's planning on re-signing with Tampa Bay uh, before free agency officially opens. And then out of uh, Giantsville, uh, tight end Darren Waller, who really had an underwhelming first season last year, mostly due to injury, says he hasn't decided if he's going to retire. And if that news came, like, why is he even considering it? Um, The 31-year-old, who was great during his time with the Raiders, addressed a report that said he was really coming back. And he said he hasn't decided as of yet. But here's the thing for the Giants. They might potentially now have to think about finding a new starting tight end. You got Daniel Bellinger on the roster. That helps. But do you go via free agency or you go into the draft for additional help? So it's going to be interesting. But as of now, Darren Waller um, saying he is undecided about whether he will play in his age 31 season uh, with the Giants or uh, hang him up after dealing with. Uh, with yet another injury last season. Uh, I'll see everybody next week, Friday, March 8th, 7 p.m. right here on Podbean. We're going to get back into the NBA, plenty of NHL. Obviously, college hoops will be a week into this as we get closer and closer, a week deeper, I should say, and closer to March Madness. And obviously, we'll talk a little more baseball, give you an update about what's happening uh, out in Arizona and down in Florida for spring training. Have a great week, everyone. Stay safe. Enjoy the baseball. Enjoy the college troops, the NBA, NHL, whatever your flavor is. And as always, go Irish. Listen to Sports Today with Peter J. Every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. We'll see you there.